Uh, in Australia, 70% of churches are in decline and there's a reason for that. And that reason really, if you know how these things roll, probably started 40-odd years ago uh, and we're reaping that harvest now when it comes to building healthy, real healthy disciples, real disciples, the way the Bible would describe them, uh, going that Christianity is not turning just turning up in church on a Sunday. And what, and what that means, that's overflowed to leadership, leadership's overflowed to churches and so on. And so um, we've, we've realised... Uh, across all movements, that something fundamentally needs to change, and uh, and and change is never easy. Uh, it 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 it's, brings tension, it brings all sorts of things. But so I, I wanted to integrate into our strategy for the church a life-giving description and a framework for what is discipleship. And uh, it's nothing new for us; we've done it since the day one. But we really just affirm that up. And so today I want to talk into another season of this growth that we go through, which is really the season. We could call it the summer season. We could call it the promised land season. It's the season uh, of the fruitfulness of our life, the busy times. And uh, you'll often find yourself um, in seasons like this where you feel like you're in the fast lane of life and life is just motoring and you probably don't feel like you have the option of slowing down even if you wanted to. It might be in your vocation where it's just gotten incredibly demanding Opportunities have come your way. People have recognised skills, capacities, so on. The demands of your life have grown um, and you think there's a time to slow down, but it's not now. That's, that's the summer season of our life. It might be with your family. Uh, all your time is invested in keeping your house together, the kids together. You know, just this whole thing that is modern life takes a lot of management to get through. And um, sometimes in those seasons... Uh, we're doing more good things than we have time to cope with. It's just like, it's just all going on. But what do we find, even in those, and we all long for those seasons, it's just when it's all going right, but um, it's not a season without trouble as well. It's, there's pushback, there's, there's challenges in there. And the fastest highways of our life often have these misleading or indistinguishable off-ramps, if I could put it that way. And I might use a bit, get a bit vehicular in this message today just to illustrate a few of the things around this sort of season, but it's a bit like a Queensland off-ramp. Have you ever tried to navigate Clem 7, inner-city bypass and Kedron and try to get your way out of there in one go? Um, you'd, be, you'd be motoring along and you think, I know basically where I'm going. I'm heading northwest. That's where I want to go. And so you tend to want to follow the sun that way, but and the signs sort of give you a rough indication, yeah, Kansas that way. Um, you think you're taking the right way and then you look back, you go, hang on, I think that turn might have been the turn I should have taken and, but now it's another 10, 10 kilometres before you can turn around in some form and do that. Um, or you just don't believe Google Maps. Um, I'm a victim of Google Maps uh, a few times. It goes very wrong. I've added many hours to trips that way. But you get that terrible feeling where you've, where you've, you've missed the, the off-ramp and you think, is that the road I'm supposed to? Did I turn left when God turned right? You know, is this what's happened? And there's a number of these indistinguishable off-ramps that really happen in our summer seasons. And, and, and we've been talking into hopelessness, the stats around that uh, in previous messages. But this season of most hopefulness is often an incubator for hopelessness as well if we get it wrong, if we try and do it in our own way, in our own strength. And one of those off-ramps is where the bounty of life the rewards and the blessings of life drown out the calling of life. Even though we can seem to think that the bounty and the blessings, we mistake them sometimes for God's leading, God's open doors, 
Um, it must be God. Look at, look at the extra money that's coming my way or the demands on my life. People are recognising me and so on. And sometimes that, the very bounty of our life can begin, if we let it to, rob us of the calling of life, which is always around people, not around performance. And so it's, it can be most significant when we find that prosperity itself distances me from people. So the rewards of the summer season distances from what is the true reward because life is about people, not about every other thing. Another off-ramp is where our unbridled determination, and I could preach a lot into this one, unbridled determination leads inevitably towards disillusionment because it takes us down a path, a man-made, man-fueled path, and you get to the end of there sometimes and you think, this path never ends. And what am I doing this for? It's that terrible midlife crisis moment, you know, where you go, hang on, is this worth it? Should I be hitting a reset now? And it's like, can I even do that now? Because all the structures of my life are built around going this way. So let's talk into that for a moment. And I want to use the Apostle Paul and, um, and, and the circumstances around his summer seasons of life and what he portrayed there to get it right. Because he didn't always get it right. The Apostle Paul made some awful clangers and we'll all know what that's like. Trouble is when you're an apostle or a preacher, when you make a clangor, everyone gets to see it, right? Uh, the rest of us, you know, we get to, it, oh, it's, did anyone see that? But it all happens in public. So 1 Corinthians 16, 8 to 10, uh, Paul is talking from this summer season and um, he, he's, he's motoring along on one of his missionary journeys and, uh, and he's getting demands all over the show. And he says, look, I'm going to stay on at, Pente- at, at, at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me. So we all know that feeling. Hey? It's like, no, no, the doors are opening for me. I'll get to you guys, but I need to put you in the calendar because I've got conflicting appointments now because uh, a great effective work has opened and there are many who oppose me. What's a good sign of an effective work? Normally that many are opposing you. Uh, it's not that it's all going swimmingly. So he felt the pushback. He felt the reward. He had it sort of all happening at once. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. So now there's this other man called Timothy and uh, he's saying, this guy's representing me. He's doing the same sort of stuff. And I want to cycle back to this relationship between Paul and Timothy because this is really the key identifier of a summer season, not Paul having to get outlook on his, on his tablet, you know, to, to try and get his life sorted out. But, but let's take a note at the temperature of Paul's life. He was on his third missionary journey at the time. So he's gone around the known sort of world at the time uh, he's again, and he's out there again, and he's just building layers upon layers upon life. And it's a bit like a guy building a career these days. It's like you've had this career and now you've had the upgrade. It might be a different career or a branching off, or you might've got a master's or a PhD and you've gotten upgraded again and, and then again. You've got some runs on the board. You've got some miles on the clock. This thing's going okay and you're being rewarded for that. So imagine in a modern day, a 40-something executive who's accomplished stuff and he's moving up and he needs to maintain all that, obviously, put out the fires that comes with that life, but there's also new frontiers to investigate, new things going on as well. And so life's complicated. It gets real complicated, doesn't it? It gets busy and yet it's all while you're in that moment of life where you're just literally in that sweet spot. It's just like, It's almost like I can't do anything wrong right now. It's just going forward. So this is the summer season. And I'll just get that next slide up if I can, thanks, um, which shows where that fits in. We've put it there as number sort of four, um, faith, 
following, we haven't approached, uh, sorry, faith, freedom, we haven't done freedom yet. Following and then the season of fruitfulness. So look at past messages for those other ones. Um, but this season of fruitfulness is an overflow. So the green zone is like the wilderness where God is forming us through those quiet moments where it's like the world's being cut off. He's just dealing with me. He's growing me. Then we crest into a promised land moment in the blue where we're bearing new fruit from new capacity, new lessons we've learnt, new character, new humility and so on. And that overflows naturally into this season of fruitfulness where it all starts to bear fruit almost recreationally, if you could say. It's like you can't help it. Why? Because it's you. It's coming from who you are. It's an overflow of what God's made you to be. Not without deep challenges, um, but often you'll have multiple flame fronts of activity going on at the same time. It might be work, home, education, whatever. And you have this sense where I'm just doing, I'm made for this. You know, it's like this is me. I'm making progress. I'm getting attention. It's going well. But it's also the time when things in our life can break. This is often the time, more than any, uh, which is fascinating, of um, mental breakdown, suffering from uh, the beginnings of that, of that process. Uh, you'll often find mental health takes a real blow, especially if you are over 50. Um, the same horsepower you used to put in now will bring about different results as the chemicals in your body change their, their, their ratios, so to speak, and serotonin can't keep up anymore and you, you compensate with adrenaline. I'm not sure whether anyone's had that experience where you're just motoring so long. And then suddenly adrenaline, it doesn't, it doesn't bleed away slowly in our life. It just says, I'm out, I'm done. And you find yourself just, you know, on your knees, wondering what on earth just happened in your life. So mental health can be a problem there. You can have exhaustion, all sorts of things add to that. Relationships can often suffer because of a lack of investment as, you're, as we're motoring along and what we, we sense is our, our calling in life. Uh, we don't invest well or appreciate our families. And so that's often the time where relationships take a biggest hit. So it does behove us to navigate this well. And so what I'd like to do is um, help you through in the sense, how do I navigate this well? And as I've said before, there is no silver bullet. There's no one thing. It's, it's over-reductionist to say there's one thing we need to do well here. Um, in all of these seasons of life, there are multiple facets. There's beliefs, there's relationships, there's things that we do, and there's an experience of God that we need to navigate these seasons well. And so all of them need to be addressed. So I want to start with the sort of beliefs you need, the attitudes that you need to have to sustain that season well. Because you're tending sometimes not to think too much about how do I navigate the season well. You tend to be thinking more about how do I keep this ship going, right? So the first and, and the most important attitude to have is centrality of God, centrality of Christ in my life. It's when you're most distracted, when you're, when you're moving the fastest, they're the times where it's most important because it won't come as natural to centre back to Jesus in your life, to dedicate at least a section of your day, preferably incremental moments all day, where you come back to the acknowledgement in my mind, this is not about me, this is not about what I perform, this is not about what I achieve. My life is not about me at all. My life is about Christ and Him glorified. And what does that mean in my life? It needs to be reconfirmed, needs to be reapplied. Because when you're, if you're in the blue, if you're in the, the green zone where it's, it's just, oh, look, I'm in retreat right now, life's really hard, you, you tend to do that more instinctively. It's when, you, when all the momentum's there, you don't do it as much. But what we find is that a sense of drivenness, a sense of momentum, A, it makes you look better than you really are, just like a lack of momentum makes you look worse than you really are. But this drivenness in our life amplifies deviation. 
So it's right when we're going the fastest, it's right when we're putting the most horsepower into our life that it's possible to deviate off track. Because when it's my energy that steers me, I tend not to self-correct as easily. Let me illustrate with, a, with for those, apologies if you're, you don't get the car thing. Um, I'm a me- mechanic. I started out as been an engineer. So I love, and, and I was in the racing scene and all that kind of stuff. But bear with me through this one. There was a stage in my early 20s before I'd met Trish and I'd got myself under control at any level where um, I was studying engineering and I was, a, I was a motor mechanic working as a mechanic on cars, which was new for me because I was into a different scene at that stage. But, um, and I used to work where we used to have to uh, tune up the police pursuit cars. Remember pursuit cars? I don't know whether they have them anymore, but back in the 80s, that's how long ago I'm talking about, they were experimenting with, with smaller little Mitsubishi turbocharged front-wheel drive pursuit cars. Now, that was never going to work. Let me tell you, front-wheel drive and high horsepower is a bad combination. Just like being driven and not praying is a bad combination. It's actually the same dynamic. Because if you've ever put the foot down at full throttle, which we had to do, we had to do, as part of our testing process, just to see how many millimetres we could wear off tyres in one, one go, you know. But if you do that and you're not spinning your wheels, if you're full throttle and you're going and you hit the gas on a turbocharged car that's got a bit of bounce to it, that thing's going to go off track very easy. You hit, a, you hit a, a rock in the road, a pothole, anything, that thing's going to dart to the other side of the road and you have no control over it. In rear-wheel drive cars, they self-correct and it's a fascinating parallel. If you're, it's one thing to be driving with the horsepower, it's another thing who's steering. Because cars are designed, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but if you let go of the steering wheel, they actually self-correct. The geometry of your front wheels are designed to self-correct. It's called caster. It's like a shopping trolley is supposed to self-correct too. It just never works. But uh, if you let go of the steering wheel, she self-corrects. In a front-wheel drive car, not so much. If you've got the foot on the gas, it's just going to keep going wherever the wheels bounce. And you can get in a lot of trouble. And we had a couple of very serious incidents there where very high horsepower cars just bounced on the wrong side of the road. You can imagine what happens next. So front-wheel drive, where I'm driving with my own power and I'm steering as well, if it's over-applied, gets you into a world of pain. And it's the same with our life. If I'm applying all my energy and I'm also taking control of the steering as well and it's coming through the same place, it's going to end up possibly quite bad. Too much wattage of my own is going to amplify my faults. So it's important I'd recenter with Jesus every single day. Lord, this is about you. Exercise the spiritual discipline of humility. Chuck Swindoll's great on this. He just says, you know, God teaches us humility all our life, but it probably will never come naturally. It's a cloak that we must put on to keep the pride and the determination in our life in check. So let's have a look at how Paul kept on track in his most driven years. I love in um, First and Second Timothy uh, where, he, where he, he speaks into this phase of his life. But, but if you look at a book like Philippians, Philippians 3, and we misquote this, we really do. Uh, I'm a preacher, I know how to misquote Scripture better than anybody, you know. We can make this, this passage say whatever we want it to if we don't have the right, if we don't understand this. He, and Paul's talking about I'm pressing on, where I'm pushing forward. 
And we think, yeah, baby, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, all the things He tells us to do, absolutely. But look at what He's pressing into in the summer of His life, in the, in the high tide, He's motoring. He says, I want to know Christ centres in. Yeah, the power of His resurrection, participation in His sufferings. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. All of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. Because when I'm not mature and I'm pressing on towards a goal, my lack of maturity will say, this is just a road off, just full throttle and not recenter my life around Christ. At the height of your powers, whatever it would be, You've got to keep first things first. And the way to do that with our attitude, obviously, is to bury yourself in Scripture and in prayer, have a regular, and I mean daily, diet of truth uh, and biblical example. Read the stories in the Bible of, of where uh, God's people took a win, you know, and, and what happens if they got off track and so on. Read biographies of, of the true mountains, legends of the faith, the real generals. Read their biographies. They've all had to do this. They've all had to come back to the centrality of Christ in their life. So that's beliefs and attitudes. Second one is relationships. Now in the summer of our life is not the time to go alone. It is not. It's a time of life where it's easiest. It's a time of life where you have no time. It's the time where you need most to be with other people. So I want to cycle back now to this relationship with Paul and Timothy. So Timothy was a guy, he, uh, Paul met him on his uh, third missionary journey, I think it was. He'd been through this place before. He'd met Timothy's mother and his grandmother and he'd been impressed, if you read through the various accounts, he'd been very impressed with Eunice's faith and, uh, and her mother as well. And it looked like Timothy from the, had just caught the same DNA where it's just a God-loving man. And this relationship he had with Timothy started out as like a father-to-son, spiritual mentoring relationship. But over the years, and there were many, I think about 16 when we talk about this passage I'm going to in a moment from 2 Timothy, he'd become not only a son, spiritual son in that sense, he'd become a peer. And these two layers of relationship when you're in the summer season are very important, that you have someone, that, at least one, that you're raising up who can take it on after you, who can represent what, you'd, what you've done. And I'm not just talking about pastors here, I'm talking about everyone in life because God's invested a lifetime in you. And so fruitfulness isn't displayed by a bank account or a job description. Fruitfulness is defined by who, who, who's, how have I replicated this? Because there are seeds of greatness in you that need to be planted into someone else. So he became, in his own right, Timothy became his, his own man, his Christian leader and so on. And then Paul regarded him as a peer just as much eventually as a son. So let's, ha- let's zoom in to Timothy 2, 1 to 4. He starts talking about Timothy. He's written a letter to you then, my son. Just a beautiful term. I think the greatest honour in, in my life in ministry, in that sense, in ministry, um, besides family, which is, which is paramount to me. But when someone gives me the, the honour of being sort of a spiritual father. It's such, a, um, it's such an honour. It's just something to be valued and, and held so tenderly. You know, it's, it's so important. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. So it's interesting. He would have spoken to many people, and, but Timothy, out of all of them, has gone, I get this. I get this. And that we'll be like that. We'll talk and we'll share with many folks. But now and again, there'll be a one. There'll be a Timothy who'll go, we're, we're of the same agenda here. Let's, let's do this together. 
Entrust your reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So again, he comes back in this, that second part there to the centrality of Christ. He's saying, no, don't get distracted in this summer season where it's all going well for you. Remember the centrality of Christ. You're, you're in an army, mate. You're not in a corporation first. You're in an army first. You're serving the commanding officer. Jesus Christ is Lord, always will be. And, and we must keep Him centre of our lives. So don't be distracted. Don't let the complexity of life and the job, you know, rob you of what's even more valuable. And that sort of thing happens in our life slowly, doesn't it? It doesn't happen overnight. We start well, but it's just it, the voices get louder. The agendas are relentless in our life. And so it challenges this centrality. And, and Paul's just saying to Timothy, remember, you serve God first, everything else second. Keep that in the centre. But the first section there was fascinating where he, he talks about, hey, as a leader, take what I've taught you in the presence of others. Take that, share that with other people who are going to do that to someone else. Four generations of leader there, Paul, Timothy, those that he entrusted to who were going to do it for another generation. That's why you and I are here, because of that mode of discipleship. And we've lost that, honestly, clearly, candidly. We have lost that in uh, the Western church. It's, and we're going to have to work quite hard to get that back. This generational, very simple, very effective, but very inconvenient apprenticing model where if we're mature in Christ, what that means is I'm maturing someone else who will do the same. So I'm actually growing someone else up to do what I'm doing to them right now. It's a multiplying model. It's the holy grail in the kingdom sense of, of discipleship and leadership that grows other people. Because in Paul's mind, unfruitful life is an unfulfilled life. It's an unfulfillment of the season. I looked out the window of my house this morning and I'm, I love, we, we've always had good luck with passion fruit vines. Summer's just the greatest time. So the passion fruits grow, but we've got this passion fruit vine now and it's going great guns. It's, it's gone everywhere in one of our gardens. But for the first time, there's no fruit on that sucker. I think, man, you're sucking oxygen and water out of this garden now and there's, there's no fruit out of this thing. It's unfulfilled. It's unfulfilled. So my life in its summer moments is unfulfilled if I'm not bearing fruit. And God's fruit is amazing because God's fruit, everything God made that's alive has fruit, has seeds of multiplication already in it. So they're already in you. That's, that's the way God does it. When we're ready to bear fruit, that fruit already has seeds of multiplication. So we're giving to someone else who's ready to give to someone else straight away. So there's four generations there. This is fruitful discipleship and leadership. And anyone can do this and you don't need to be have a ministry title. It's just life on life, human on human. Guide people, love people, be a rock for them and so on. So that's the relationship side, peers and um, mentors, oh, disciples, if I can put it that way. Thirdly, practices, and I need to move on. Um, practices, things that we do in life that will help us navigate this season well. Well, those relationships lead to the next. And I'm going to keep it very simple. The practices are around, are around people. Prioritise people. You know the indicator of your depth with God, the true depth, the spirituality of your life, the true indicator, well, the first one is fruit of the Spirit. Second one is your dealings with human beings, your dealings with other people. Do they want to be around you? Are you feeding into their life? Do you have empathy? Do you have time? Do you have a listening ear? 
I look at Paul, I'm not sure I would have gotten on with Paul. He's a bit of a hard man, Paul. Um, I don't think I could have kept up with him, to be honest. You know, I mean, he's tough, he's ambitious, he's accomplished, he's task-oriented. And yet I look then at this phase of his life where he's at his height. And you look at 2 Timothy and you look at what he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Of all the things in Paul's life that could have given him joy, his accomplishments, his intellect, his epistles, his churches that he's planted, all that stuff, of all of that, the thing that brings him joy, the thing that brings him the tears is Timothy, his son. He's this, this guy that he's seen rise and he, all he wants in his life, I just want to be with you. If I can be with the people that I love, that I've invested into, my life's complete, my joy is complete. Of all those other things, how seldom we talk about this, that this guy's heart cry was to be with another human being. He could have been Australian. Paul, he's a pioneer, he's tough. And I know these ex-men that are here today, this is, this is what they brought out of their XEC experience, the, the joy of doing it together. They love turning up here in their red shirts. We're brothers. We've done this thing together. It's fantastic. And so we've all got to look in the mirror with this one and go, well, who, who are my people? Do, it, am I at that point too? Or have I become a bit hard? Have I not got time? Am I too callous? Is this not a priority for me anymore? Why doesn't it matter? And just run ourselves through that filter and just see how we're going with that. Because people matter. They matter to God and they should matter to us. Fourthly then is our experience of God's Spirit. Again, this is another thing that in the Western church we uh, need to come to grips with. And I, don't, and I don't just mean come to grips. We've got to tackle this thing and wrestle it to the ground, the issue of life in the Spirit. Most of us here, well, oh, actually I may not win that one, but a, a lot of us here come from conservative denominations, many from Pentecostal backgrounds and so on. So we have very different views of what it means to engage with the Holy Spirit through life. But as I do week after week, I say the most spiritual person is the one who's fueled and empowered by God's Spirit. And so we need to be able to grapple with that because that's, that issue is not going away because man-centred, man-fueled Christianity is not going to work anymore. It never did anyway. It just looked like it did because our society had a Christian framework to its laws. It doesn't anymore. So now, true spirituality is spirituality. We're living from God's Spirit. And in this summer season of our life, it's just so easy to rely on what God's Spirit has done in our life and not live from God's Spirit through our life. It's possible to use all that God's done in you and to leave God out of it. If God's the fuel of it, God will be glorified. Look at what he says to Timothy in uh, verse 5. I remind you, based on all of that stuff, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying onto my hands. So he'd prayed for this guy. And there's a whole message in that. How does God's spirit, how does his interaction with us change when we're laying hands on each other? Anyway, we'll get to that another time. But Paul has prayed and the anointing of the spirits come upon this guy and the gifts of the spirit that have been latent in there have, have taken flame. And we see this every year. We see this in various settings, in prayer times, in our spiritual retreats. We see all this sort of stuff happen. It happens so much, we don't think most of the time to get up and give testimony of it. We're, we're God's people get set alight 
and the Spirit comes upon them and then suddenly they're, they're, they've got boldness, they've got giftedness, they've got faith. They, they just want to pray over people. They just want to evangelise to people. They want to start a new missions venture. It's just God's Spirit just overflowing and He wants out. And Paul's saying, don't let that fire go out because that fire can go out because the Spirit, if I can speak in a, in a worldly sort of way, it, it, the dynamic is that the Spirit seems to leak. His influence from our life leaks. And so you can be full of the Spirit one day and then a week later, it's, it's, it can be like, where's God's empowerment on life? Because it's not only that He's with us, are we with Him? Are we leaning on Him? Are we come living from Him? Fan in the flame, he's saying that gift is in you. All of us, every single one of us here have giftings from the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's the stamp of the Spirit's in your life. But it needs to be fanned in the flame. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, but it's part of the discipleship to find that out, to discover it. And it's not through doing a spiritual gift survey, God love them. Tick, 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 box, 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 whatever, man. The Spirit is not confined by by an inventory. The goal of the Spirit is to empower us to meet the needs of humanity in whatever setting we find ourselves in. And so He'll he'll give us a gift. He'll imbue us with the anointing to do that. It changes with the setting. It changes with the culture. Back then, speaking in other languages in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, when there's people from nations all over the place needed to hear the Gospel, how else is He going to do that? Let's get them speaking in other languages. It's, It's... not so much a priority now. It still, it still happens, obviously, but, but now we need gifts right now. The gift of leadership is springing up. It's a little flame right now. We've tried to do it man's way now for nearly 30 years. We've spoken about leadership more than we have in any previous generation for 30 years. We've been banging the drum of leadership and we've got less leaders now than when we started that. It's so frustrating. But you know why it's doing that? Because we've done it man's way. If we talk about leadership long enough, we're going to build leaders. It doesn't work that way. It happens through all of these things at once. You've got to be apprenticed into it. You've got to do it with people. You need the power of God's Spirit with you. And God's raising leaders up. It's actually, it could be the most depressing time of, to be a church leader, but I reckon it's the most exciting right now because now the, the real church is going to stand up. It's really exciting. But we have to fan that gift into flame. And, um, and so that comes from being around people who, who understand, who know, who can pray with us, being in the, right, in the settings that propagate that and so on. Being praying actively to be filled with God's Spirit, engaging with people, doing things that require God to turn up and do what you could never do in your own strength. So put yourself in harm's way in that sense. Hang around with those who have faith. Uh, there's just so much we can do. See, a Christian should never feel the need to say, my life is useless, no one cares, I have no value. We say that when we've experienced a life where we've done things in our own strength, we've not had our value in Christ, He hasn't been central, and we've just found ourselves nowhere. But we can come back to the fact that we are His sons and daughters. Romans 8, you are... The Spirit is in your life. You placed your faith in Christ. His Spirit is there. Therefore, you're an heir. You are a co-heir with Christ. You get to be part of the kingdom venture just as Jesus was with that same Spirit, that same power. There is no lack of self-esteem to be found in the kingdom of God, let me tell you. Your identity, who you are, the world may judge you one way, but the way God has positioned you and empowered you 
leaves no room for insecurity, no room for a lack of identity. So we can all have purpose about our life, all of us, whatever our situation. But as the band comes up, and I'll just welcome the team up as we close off, you may feel like you have nothing to give. Um, you may, in your summer season, you may feel like you have no time. Uh, you don't have the right personality or the money or the skills. You do because it's your heart that matters. Any one of us here can change the life of someone else here today. Show someone that you care. You care enough to stop. You care enough not to you know, race out the door. Hang around. Have a coffee. Ask someone about their stories. Ask if you can pray for them. That's what changes lives. We need you. The kingdom needs you. Give because you can. The, the real fruit of all this is generosity. Because if you're free to give, you're truly free. If we feel like we can't give, if I'm hoarding my life to me, then I'm not free. But this season is one of fruitfulness. So let's pray. Let's pray that God will fill us with His Spirit and give us all we need to be His people. Father, we just come before You right now. Lord, I, I sense a mixture of excitement and a mixture of what next. Father, we just thank You that this is a place where Your Spirit is welcome. And Father, we invite You now to fill hearts. Lord, to fuel their mission. Lord, I, I invite You now to come and Lord, remove the lies that's Anyone might be believing that their life is useless, they have no purpose, they have no value. Lord, we break the power of that lie in Jesus' Name. It is simply untrue and we have no time for it when there's just so much to be about from Your Spirit. So Lord, will You fill us with Your Holy Spirit? Lord, fill us to overflowing. And Lord, I pray too that the gifts of the Spirit that are in this room, Lord, a hundred flames, set them alight, send them out. Anoint us with Your power. Give us the faith to act on that behalf. In Jesus' Name, Amen.